he was to rise in politics, he needed professional help. He therefore decided to spend some time away from Rome, travelling both to refresh his mind and to consult the leading teachers of rhetoric, most of whom lived in Greece and Asia Minor. Because I possessed a decent knowledge of Greek, Cicero asked if he might borrow me. This was during the consulship of Servilius Vartia and Claudius Pulcher, the 675th year after the foundation of Rome. The young man who stood on the quayside that spring morning was thin, round-shouldered, and sallow, a picture of ill health. Well, Tyro, I remember thinking, you better make the most of this trip, because it's not going to last long. We went first to Athens, where Cicero had promised himself the treat of studying philosophy at the academy. I carried his bag to the lecture hall and was turning away when he called me back and demanded to know where I was going. To sit in the shade with the other slaves, I replied. Unless there is some further service you require. Most certainly there is, he said. I wish you to perform some very strenuous labour. I want you to come in here with me and learn a little philosophy, in order that I may have someone to talk to on our long travels. So I was privileged to hear Antiochus of Ascalon himself assert the three basic principles of Stoicism, that virtue is sufficient for happiness, that nothing except virtue is good, and that the emotions are not to be trusted. Three simple rules, which, if only men could follow them, would solve most of the problems of the world. Thereafter, Cicero and I would often debate such questions, and in this realm of the intellect the difference in our stations was always forgotten. We stayed six months, and then moved on. The dominant school of rhetoric at that time was the so-called Asiatic method, elaborate and flowery, full of pompous phrases and tinkling rhythms. Its delivery was accompanied by a lot of swaying about and striding up and down. In Rome, its leading exponent was Quintus Hortensius Hortulus, whose fancy footwork had earned him the nickname of the Dancing Master. Cicero made a point of seeking out all Hortensius's mentors, and spent weeks with each, patiently studying their methods, until at last he felt he had their measure. Tyro, he said to me, picking at his customary plate of boiled vegetables, I have had quite enough of these perfume prancers. You will arrange a boat to Rhodes. We shall enroll in the school of Apollonius Molon. Molon was a lawyer who had pleaded in the Rome courts brilliantly, and had even been invited to address the Senate in Greek, an unheard-of honour, after which he had retired to Rhodes and opened his rhetorical school. His theory of oratory was simple. Don't move about too much. Hold your head straight, stick to the point, make them laugh, make them cry, and when you've won their sympathy, sit down quickly. For nothing, said Molon, dries more quickly than a tear. This was far more to Cicero's taste. Molon's first action was to feed him a bowl of hard-boiled eggs with anchovy sauce, and when Cicero had finished that, not without some complaining, I can tell you, to follow it with a lump of red meat seared over charcoal, accompanied by a cup of goat's milk. You need bulk, young man, he told him, patting his own barrel chest. No mighty note was ever sounded by a feeble reed. 
Cicero glared at him, but dutifully chewed. At dawn, the physical exercises began, and each day afterwards more exercises were added and their duration increased. Speaking in the forum, said Molon, is comparable to running in a race. It requires stamina and strength. For the actual declamatory training, Molon took his eager pupil out of the shaded courtyard and into the heat of midday, and had him recite his exercise pieces while walking up a steep hill without pausing. In this fashion, with only the scratching of the cicadas and the olive trees for an audience, Cicero strengthened his lungs and learnt how to gain the maximum output of words from a single breath. In the afternoons, for speech projection, Molon took him down to the shingle beach, paced out eighty yards, the maximum range of the human voice, and made him declaim against the boom and hiss of the sea, the nearest thing, he said, to the background mutter of several hundred men in conversation in the Senate. These were distractions Cicero would have to get used to. But what about the content? Cicero asked. Surely I will compel attention chiefly by the force of my arguments. Molon shrugged. Content does not concern me. Remember Demosthenes. Only three things count in oratory. Delivery, delivery, and again, delivery. And my stutter? The stutter, stutter does not b b bother me either, replied Molon with a grin. Seriously, it adds interest and a useful impression of honesty. Demosthenes himself had a slight lisp. The audience identifies with these flaws. It is only perfection which is dull. There should be no effeminate bending of the neck, no twiddling of the fingers. Do not move your shoulders. If you must use your fingers for a gesture, try bending the middle finger against the thumb and extending the other three. That is it. That is good. The eyes, of course, are always turned in the direction of the gesture, except when we have to reject. Oh, gods, avert such plague, or I do not think that I deserve such honor. Nothing was allowed to be written down, for no orator worthy of the name would dream of consulting a sheaf of notes. Molon favored the standard method of memorizing a speech, that of an imaginary journey around the speaker's house. Place the first point you want to make in the entrance hall and picture it lying there, then the second in the atrium, and so on, walking round the house in the way you would naturally tour it, assigning a section of your speech not just to each room, but to every alcove and statue. Cicero was not the only pupil at Molon's Academy that spring and summer. In time, we were joined by Cicero's younger brother Quintus and his cousin Lucius, and also by two friends of his, Servius, a fussy lawyer who wished to become a judge, and Atticus, dapper, charming Atticus, who had no interest in oratory, for he lived in Athens and had no intention of making a career in politics, but who loved spending time with Cicero. All marveled at the change which had been wrought in his health and appearance, and on their final evening together they gathered to hear the effects which Molon had produced on his oratory. I wish I could recall what it was that Cicero spoke about that night, but I fear I am the living proof of Demosthenes' cynical assertion that content counts for nothing beside delivery.
All I can picture now are the moths whirling like ash around the torches, the wash of stars above the courtyard, and the enraptured faces of the young men turned towards Cicero. But I do remember Molon's words afterwards when his protégé sat down. After a long silence, he got to his feet and said in a hoarse voice, Cicero, I congratulate you and I am amazed at you. It is Greece and her fate that I am sorry for. The only glory that was left to us was the supremacy of our eloquence, and now you have taken that as well. Go back, he said, and gestured with those three outstretched fingers across the lamp-lit terrace to the dark and distant sea. Go back, my boy, and conquer Rome. But how do you conquer Rome with no weapon other than your voice? The first step is obvious. You must become a senator. To gain entry to the Senate at that time, it was necessary to be at least 31 years old, and assets of one million sesterces had to be shown to the authorities simply to qualify to be a candidate at the annual elections in July. But where was Cicero to get a million? His father certainly did not have that kind of money. He faced, therefore, the three traditional options. But making it would take too long, and stealing it would be too risky. Accordingly, he married it. Terentia was seventeen, flat-chested, with a head of short, tight black curls. Her half-sister was a vestal virgin, proof of her family's social status. More importantly, she was the owner of two slum apartment blocks in Rome, some woodland in the suburbs, and a farm, total value one and a quarter million. So Cicero became a senator.